0: Social justice means applying the law equally to all people, but in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez, and I'm here with my law partner, Jack Dorora. We practice law and we seek social justice. On this show, we explore the disconnect between the two.
1: For a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day. With social justice issues dominating our culture, our news, Our focus became, what can we as lawyers do to make a difference? How can we promote social justice?
0: Well, today it is just us, Jack, and um, we're kind of taking a 30,000-foot view of things. We're going to talk about democracy. I'm not sure that either of us are comfortable saying that there is going to be the death of democracy or the demise of democracy, but it occurred to me today uh, there's a song called The Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis. I remember that. Song that came out, I remember, when I was a uh, senior in college. And he has a a line in it that says, the old boy's heart may be barely breathing, but it's still beating. And I think about democracy that way. It seems to me with everything that's going on, if you um, understand the country that we live in, you have to have some concerns, right?
1: Oh, I think about that all the time. It's, it's a state of turmoil that is very uncomfortable, I think.
0: I'm often asked by my law students, uh, do we live in a democracy or a republic? And my answer is both. I mean, America is both a democracy and a republic. Uh, the democracy is, is that the people hold the ultimate power. But we're not a direct democracy, we're a representative
1: democracy,
0: and we, represent, we pick representatives to represent us.
1: Do you think they're doing a good job these days? Actually, I disagree with you. I mean, I don't think we pick the representatives these days. I think the representatives pick us by virtue of all the gerrymandering. And as we see, I'm confident that a number of laws that are passed reflect the fact that reflect not the will of the people, but what an entrenched group of legislators want to do. And if I got off topic on you, forgive me.
0: No, not at all, because what you're getting to is something that you and I have been kind of passing back and forth as a thought process, which is while we are a representative democracy, uh, the way it's supposed to work is the majority of the people vote in representatives to then go make public policy. We're also a constitutional democracy, meaning that the Constitution protects the minorities from the majority. In thought. In thought. In practice, it seems to me that it's the minority that we have to be protected from and the minority has found a way to really gerrymander the whole system, not just the representative districts. Would you agree with that?
1: Well sure, and Ohio provides uh a very clear example of that we have how many seats do we have ninety how many seats do we have in the state house ninety nine we have ninety nine seats two thirds of those are held by Republicans so that would suggest to you that two thirds of the population is Republican or close to it but the reality is it's about a 54-46 split which means that. You know, something like fifty-five seats should be Republican, forty-five should be Democrat, et cetera. But they, but because of how they gerrymander, they have a substantial majority in the House. How does that happen? Well, you got to control the the voting districts. I sometimes go back to
0: it's our own damn fault. Huh. Uh, as we were talking the other day, I, I pulled up some uh, statistics. So in Ohio, uh, in the November 2020 election, there were 8 million registered voters and 6 million voted. It was one of the highest turnouts ever at 74%. But 2 million people in Ohio did not vote. Nationally, there were 168 million registered voters. So 67% voted which left almost 55 million people who didn't vote. I wonder how well the gerrymandering would be if everybody voted. How, how, how successful prevalent. could they be in suppressing uh, the vote if everybody votes?
1: Well, I you know what, I've never thought of that question. I don't know uh, how to attack that. Uh, let me, can I take a, a little turn here? I've never missed a vote except once when I was in law school, and I was clerking at a law firm. So, you know, I'm in. I'm. Uh, I went to school a little later than you do, so I'm maybe age 27, 28. And one of the partners said, "Did you vote today?" I said, "No, nah, I didn't. Didn't vote today." And very politely, he let me know what a mistake that was. So, okay, I'm not missing any votes after that. And maybe sometimes that's all it takes. People take it for granted because they don't feel like their vote has any power. They don't think it means anything. But holy cow, when 55 million people take that approach, that's significant. I talk to my juries about
0: the power of voting. And I play off of that theme, and Mm -hmm. maybe a a little incorrectly, um, but I tell them that they are participating in democracy by being jurors in this courtroom. And that they have a wonderful opportunity to cast a vote that matters, right? Right. So you figure if um, if uh, the governor gets, you know, uh, four million votes, your vote may or may not matter. Right. It probably doesn't. Even uh, when Ann was in the state house, she might get thirty thousand votes. So it's a lot of people, right? And mm-hmm. and the 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 elections aren't that close. When you think about it, on a jury, there's 12 people on a criminal jury, and every vote counts. And what we do in the civil uh, arena, there's eight people on our jury, and in Ohio, six of them have to render a verdict. So I talk to jurors about this is the one opportunity you have to have a vote in our democracy that matters. And I think it resonates with them. Oh, It, it gives has them a to. sense of importance to what's going on. But... If we think about the big picture, uh, I know that you focus a lot on our representatives. I'm probably more disappointed in what's happening with our court system.
1: Well, tell me about that.
0: So when you think about, let's start with the Supreme Court. There was a time when a justice would be confirmed with 95 or 99 percent, maybe one senator, objects. But for the most part, it was 80 or 90 senators, whether it was a Democrat president or Republican, putting these justices in the office and just you'd probably agree with me that probably everybody that's considered is is pretty qualified to be there. Right.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, these these are smart people from very good law schools, very good academic background. So really what you're doing is looking for ideology, right? Well, now it's in probably for the foreseeable future. It's going to be a who's got the majority of the senators, which party, and that's how the person's going to be confirmed, right?
1: You only have to look at what's been going on in the news the last few days with Judge Brown Jackson. She received, I suspect, a well-qualified, uh, what do we call that? A well-qualified vote by the American Bar Association she is articulate, she's knowledgeable, she's thoughtful. But they, the politicians, are trying to, I'm going to say destroy her, that's too strong, but they're trying to negate her by focusing in on a handful of cases, as opposed to looking at her whole record. So it really is political. Her qualifications, which are stellar, are overlooked by virtue of the political gains that certain senators want to make. Well, I look at it a little
0: more neutral, I think, than you do, Jack. And what I see is is that the Republicans, when they're in power in the Senate or with a Republican president, are hell-bent at getting somebody on the court that's going to vote exactly the way Republicans and their constituents want them to vote. And the Democrats are no better than that when they have a majority in the Senate and they have a a Democrat president. And so what's happening is, is that we're getting justices that are not on the court to do what they believe to be the best, they're on it because of their ideology. They're either going to overturn Roe versus Wade or they're going to protect Roe versus Wade. They're going to, you know, uh, support Citizens United and dark money, or they're going to overturn it. And it's disappointing that the third branch of government can be so easily manipulated by the other branches of government, right?
1: Oh, and and plus. In view of how maybe lethargic Congress has been, the Supreme Court has become more important in the last 20 years. And so all this political maneuvering really culminates with a Supreme Court that is slanted one way.
0: It's not that much different uh, in Ohio at the state level when you think of it this way. When I ran for judge, it was a process where I went and sought the Republican uh, Party's recommendation. And my opponent sought the Democrat Party's recommendation. And what you have in all judicial races across Ohio is a Democrat running against a Republican because if you don't get that recommendation from your party, you have essentially no way of being elected. Correct. So you end up having a system where our political parties, and a lot of people in these political parties that you go and you screen with them, aren't lawyers. They're just Republicans or they're just Democrats. And they're not necessarily trying to put the best qualified person on the bench. I know that. And so <laughs> you end up having politicians on the bench sometimes. Now we've got very good judges in Franklin County and like I've told you that uh, you can grow into that job. I mean basically we all have the same education right?
1: Where we come, we go to law school, we're uh, all taught the same stuff. You and I differ about how well you can grow into the job. That's always that's the common argument between us but I understand what you're saying.
0: So in Franklin County now uh, to be elected as a Republican judge is very very difficult. Uh, just being a Democrat almost ensures that you will be elected. So I think that the party, the Democrat party, has a real responsibility to run qualified people for those positions.
1: Well, they have the responsibility, but they don't take it. What each party looks for is just electability. And electability largely is based on, I hate to say it, name recognition. So your only downfall when you ran was, no offense intended, your last name.
0: Well, if I would have ran as a Democrat, though, I probably would have won. And I think it's not much of a consolation to think that I only won because of my last name. It's as bad as losing because of my last name. What
1: if it... Here's a hypothetical for you. So let's assume that you... uh, Let's create the hypothetical you, John Gonzalez, run as a Democrat against a Republican named O'Neill. What would have happened?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say, but again, it goes back to my first point. Is it our own damn fault? People have to get educated on who's running for what office and not be so tied to their political uh, affiliation.
1: Well, that's a great discussion, and I think it's a great idea, but I think it's a non-starter for this reason. People people don't take enough time to understand who's running for the legislature. They're going to have even less inkling and motivation to look for those names on the on the judicial ballot, because why? That's even further away from them. So I don't think you ever get there, pessimist that I am.
0: You may be right. And um, if we kind of go back to our discussion about democracy, I see the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives as, as being different, but also having the same problem. So take the Senate for a minute. The way the Senate is set up, uh, you get two senators from every state. So you end up in states with very small population sending two senators to our, our United States Senate. And you have a state like California or Florida or Texas or even Ohio that has a greater population only sending two. So then when these senators who are supposed to be representing us, America, Vote. They're really it's skewed because oh. you may have more Republican senators with fewer of the overall votes in the country. Right. And I think that's the way it, it
1: was before the Democrats took over. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that you know we have republican senators from montana they probably have more cows in mont or more cattle in montana than they have republicans for goodness sake so you
0: have the minority actually ruling the majority and then if you take our point that that minority is able to pack the court with like-minded people you now have a judicial system that may not be doing the best job protecting the rights of the majority now not the minority where it was set. But the House of Representatives is a different story, isn't it? It's the redistricting. It's the gerrymandering that keeps unrepresented people in power. I, I, maybe I'm saying that wrong, but, but not duly majority elected people in power.
1: Or as they say, you're, you're in a district where your vote just doesn't count. There's just no way you're gonna get a majority of your party assembled to vote for someone of your party because of the the way that the district has been maneuvered.
0: My dad uh, liked uh, John Boehner. Mm -hmm. He couldn't say enough about him when when John Boehner was the Speaker of the House. And I said, Dad, that guy's from a simply, uh, from a very small district in Ohio and he cannot be defeated. Right and he basically runs our country, and I didn't vote for him, and you didn't vote for him. <laughs> and it just, it was amazing to me, and I think it was when I first started thinking about these issues, that how we want to say we're a democracy, or a representative democracy, or a constitutional democracy, but really the people that control that aren't elected by the majority of us. The Speaker of the House, the President of the Senate,
1: Well, in addition to someone like Boehner being protected by virtue of having a heavily Republican district back in the day, we have senators who are not subject to gerrymandering who I don't think you can ever vote out of office. I don't think it's possible to, to vote. In fact, it was proven you can't vote Mitch McConnell out. You can't vote out Lindsey Graham because they benefit as I've been reading, from outside money coming in to support them. And so they had war chests that were really significant. And by virtue of the money and the advertising and the negative campaigning, they are operating as if they're behind the Praetorian Guard. You can't get to them.
0: And I fear that um, a lot of people don't understand how our government is supposed to work. Now they understand what effect it has on them individually and clearly people are okay with the way things are going because they keep voting for Mitch McConnell or uh, Ted Cruz or some of these people who in my mind don't believe in democracy because when you got a person like Mitch McConnell who's in a system where he's elected to represent citizens, holding up a nomination for the Supreme Court, completely thwarting the constitutional mandates of what was supposed to happen, how can that person sit there and tell you that they believe in democracy and they believe in this country? I I just, I I find it uh, disingenuous to say the least.
1: Disingenuous is uh, being generous. regrettably, the framers must have thought that everybody was going to act like an adult when it came to how the constitution was worked. So they said, look, the president nominates, the Senate has to confirm If you and I were writing a contract, we would have said, okay, when the vacancy occurs, the president has to nominate somebody in two weeks, and the Senate has to confirm somebody in two weeks, and then there would have been consequences of either step because we don't trust the other person on the other side of the contract. They thought everybody was going to behave. Mitch McConnell didn't behave. And then when he had the opportunity, he rammed through a nomination after Trump was defeated in the polls. So really, that's... When I hear Mitch McConnell talk about hypocrisy, I chuckle.
0: Yeah, I I think that it's time for a lot of these leaders to retire. I think America would be a better place if uh, Mitch McConnell wasn't in the Senate. Uh, maybe somebody like Nancy Pelosi, who has done a lot for the Dems, but uh, but we. Seems to me we need people there that uh, believe in America and believe in the system of America, not in the Democrat or the Republican. I know you love this quote. Um, uh, Madison wrote a letter in 1788 to Thomas Jefferson, and he said that um, he said, uh, unless we are limited by a well-constructed constitution, which the people observe faithfully, the winners of a Democrat election could persecute the losers and prevent them from competing for control of the government in future elections. What he was talking about is that the majority, without the Constitution, can infringe upon the rights of the minority and basically eliminate them from government. And I think he's spot on in his concern, but what has happened is, is actually the minority that is trying to take the rights away from the majority just by virtue of how the votes are broken down.
1: Oh, sure. And they, the minority works to, if nothing else, just thwart what the majority is doing so that it has bragging rights, so to speak, at the next election. The idea of working jointly for the benefit of the common good, those are the good old days. There is so much distrust
0: in government, too, that it makes it hard for our government to function. Legi- you know, That's a legitimate concern. Even the, the most well-intentioned representatives have difficulty getting some Americans to believe that, hey, the government is doing something for you. I have to laugh at my brother, who simply won't wear a mask or wouldn't when they were mandated because of freedom. <laughs> he's a free person and he should be able to make his own choice. And I had to laugh because he said, oh, I have to go to a homeowner's uh, uh, meeting tonight because they want to pass a rule that says that all the fire hydrants need to be read and I'm in favor of it. And I said, what about freedom? <laughs> it just, it, it, it's one of those things where... um you know, I get the distrust and I probably distrust them more because I just don't believe the motives anymore are pure in a lot of our representatives, uh, but I don't trust people in the government.
1: Well, here's the problem. Those who are now in government have benefited from this tilted system. They now know what kind of speech it takes. They know that it takes a tremendous amount of money, and down deep, they'd probably never admit it, but they like gerrymandering. So I don't know how we get people who have benefited from the system to change the system, just like, forgive me for taking a little turn here, show me a judge who's on the bench by virtue of an election system, and I'll show you a judge who thinks elections are just fine. You just can't get away from it.
0: Well, you even think about um, somebody like our um, Representative uh, Jordan. The only way he could lose an election is if if somebody is more to the right of him. Oh, yeah. Which, when I see him making a spectacle of a hearing Mm -hmm. so that he's talked about on all the talk shows for the next two or three days until somebody else makes a bigger spectacle of themselves— I think it's only to make sure that there is nobody to the right of him because you're right. His motivation is to keep his job over everything else. He wants to keep his job.
1: You know, there really is something beneficial, uh, I'll say, about um, term limits. Most people don't like that idea, but I, I think of the military. When you're in the military, at least as an officer, you hold a position for, it depends, between two and a half and three years. And you're always moving up. So even the general who's in charge of uh, central command, which is the Mideast, parts of Africa, no matter how successful he is, you know, two and a half, three years, he's out. There's going to be somebody else taking his place. And so you are never encumbered with stagnancy not to say every general is a great one but there's always going to be change and new blood and new thought and my goodness we got people that have been in congress it's a, they've been been in the house longer than either you or I have been practicing law that's that just asks for stagnancy
0: i sometimes wonder if you ask somebody like um... Pat T. Berry, who is a, a friend of um, of ours, uh, if he's truly proud of the way the government overall has been during the time that he was in office, because it seems to me that a lot of what's happened over the last, let's say, 20 years, when you and I, you know, are adults and we're in the system, has not been great. Hmm. Um, especially for people that don't have a lot of money. And I always go back to it's really not about the Democrats and the Republicans. It's about those
1: with money and those without money. There's no question it's a top-down system. And, And as we discussed with our prior guest, William Perry, look, if William Perry... Was somebody who came to Columbus and said, I have $10 million to invest. The doors would be open. William Perry instead is a man who served time in prison and says, You know, I just want an equal playing field. And there are thousands of people like me. Nobody's opening that door. There's not the power, the influence, the money representing those people.
0: Well, you know, our friend Donald Trump made that point because he used to say, I gave money to Hillary Clinton. I gave money to, and he would just name these politicians. And it struck me as being, yeah, the only way that anybody would talk to you is because you have money. It wasn't that I had a great idea and I went to them. It's just that I went to them and I had money and they took my money.
1: Which brings me to the other fallacy that I love, which is when politicians say we're not influenced by the campaign contributions. Now, that's just plain silly because what do we do as lawyers? I might take somebody out to lunch, a business owner, because I want him to like me. I want to tell him about our law firm, so am I taking him to lunch just because I need to eat lunch? No, I'm trying to curry favor, for goodness sake, it's called marketing. And so when politicians say, oh, those contributions <laughs> don't influence me, I'm thinking, well, come on, just just say, just be honest about it.
0: Well, money in politics is a problem that uh, we have no appetite to solve, it seems to me. Oh. Um, and it might be a little easier to solve because it used to be that you needed money to get your word out, right? You needed to advertise, you needed to be on TV. But now with social media the way it is, it's not a, necessarily a big dollar, right?
1: Well, I Endeavor. don't ever. I, I, yes and no. I mean, there are certain social, there are certain platforms that you can access free of charge. But if I'm not mistaken, the Lindsey Graham campaign, I shudder to say this because it's such a big number, but I think it was about $100 million on each side of the fight. Yeah. I read an article about Sarah Palin the other day. And what did she have to say?
0: Uh, It wasn't her saying, but she may run for, um, I think, a... House of Representatives was was the spot. They didn't say, but I don't think it was a Senate seat. I think it was a U.S. House seat. Uh, Unfortunately, somebody had passed away, so it's an open seat. And they said, she won't have to spend much money because everybody knows her. (laughs) And I thought, well, that is true. Very, very much uh, uh, with her name recognition. So um, I don't know. I worry about democracy. Um, I wish that the courts were stronger. Um, I think they have been weakened by the political structure. Uh, the way that we have allowed politicians to infiltrate um, what you and I do as a living is disappointing to me. I don't know how to fix it or correct it. I hope and I. I see it every day that judges are trying to make the best decisions, that they're uh, prudently, you know, assessing what they're doing. Fortunately, 95, maybe 99 percent of the decisions judges make only affect the parties in front of them. You know, not everyone is monumental.
1: Well, let's take a little detour from the judicial system and get back to the legislatures. What's also been unsettling is a raft of bills that are being passed in several states that limit voter access, all under the guise of increasing the safety of the vote or protecting the vote from fraud. Now, of course, who wants to see a fraudulent election? No one. Now, it's been reported, I don't know, probably thousands of times if we were going to look at every source of news that whatever fraud occurred in the presidential election is a handful. So these legislatures justify what they're doing because they have this beautifully circular argument, which is, well, our people are telling us, our our constituents are telling us about voter fraud, so we have to respond to it parenthetically, without really investigating it. And so they limit access. But there's a lot of research from respectable organizations that show that limiting access really harms minorities, people who can't get away from work, people who don't have a car, people who have child care issues, you name it, limiting access. And really all that's doing is eliminating a certain sector of the population as opposed to preserving the integrity of the vote. That's really bothersome.
0: It is. And it's no coincidence that it's the Republicans who are pushing these voter suppression measures. And to me, being very cynical, would say that it's because there aren't as many Republicans in the world to vote for them. So if you have more Democrats, but you can keep a large percentage of them from actually going to the polls, if you can gerrymander your districts so that most of the people that go to the polls are Republicans in those districts, then you're going to win an election. And the, the barriers that they put up to vote are I mean just incredible. Now I like to go to the polls on election day.
1: Me too. I like I go
0: for the sticker. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy going to the polls. Yeah. I've seen the same poll workers in our community for fifteen or, or twenty years. We take our kids, even though they're adults with us, mm-hmm. and we all enjoy that because sure. it feels like you're participating. Right. I'm not comfortable doing a mail in ballot yet. But My parents had to because they weren't mobile, and a lot of people need to vote early. Um, And I just don't see anything wrong with those measures, and I I agree with you. Where is the fraud in it? They've been used in some states. That's all
1: the... Right? I think think Washington state is like that, if I'm not mistaken. If it's not Washington, it's another state where it's primarily a mail-in vote. And then
0: you have... um, Somebody, again, like our esteemed uh, former leader, Mr. Trump, who doesn't like mail-in votes, but he uses them.
1: Yeah, I forgot about the great irony. (laughs) Yeah, he criticized the system, but he mailed his vote in. Um,
0: You know, it's amazing to me with all the technology, too, that we can't do a better job getting people access to voting.
1: Voting should be easy as pie. And I think we could make it easy as pie and preserve its integrity. But I, I hate to say it, I share your cynicism. I think Republicans are afraid that are, are bent on keeping away a certain segment of population, which they think would be voting for Democrats. But here's the thing, that play isn't the long game, because we're now seeing statistics I don't know when it is. Is it by 2040 or maybe 2050, whites will be in the minority in the United States? So they're going to have to come up with another strategy to keep themselves in office at that point. I mean, assuming that the demo, the, dem, the uh, demographics work out the same in terms of voting preference.
0: Well, here's my solution to where we are.
1: A junta. <laughs> oh, no, that's that's even worse. Never mind.
0: Stop voting for the incumbent for maybe two or three, or at the most, four election cycles. So, whoever the incumbent, you vote for their opponent. Their opponent gets in, you vote them out in, in the next election cycle, so that the person that's in doesn't get a sense of entitlement to that job, that they're there to do a job, and then that they're going to be out, so that Whatever they do, other end, is going to affect them as a non representative. And I wonder if we could purge this mentality or the people that have the mentality from government that way.
1: I don't think your theory is ever going to be approved, although I applaud your creativity. But if we get a workable map for the State House on this fourth try, it is the fourth try, right?
0: Yes. If we
1: get a workable map, we'll be as close to that as we could ever hope. And we might see a difference. Plus, we do have term limits, sort of, in Ohio. So maybe we will see some change.
0: Jack, you talk about suppressing the vote. Who is this representative that wants to suppress the vote on the Supreme Court by impeaching our Chief Justice?
1: Oh, what's his name? Wiggum? I don't know what district he cut. Yeah, he wants to impeach Justice, Chief Justice O'Connor, because she took an independent view of the map not being constitutional. Now, he doesn't accuse her of any malfeasance. No. He just doesn't like the way she ruled. He doesn't want to impeach the three
0: Democrat (laughs) justices that also voted that way. So what he really is impeaching her is to not following the Republican ideology, which is so ridiculous, again, in a democracy that you would have a representative that would openly suggest that. And, you know, I, I don't know if I ever told you the story that I went to a political um, uh, function once. And it, most of the people in the state houses right after they decided that uh, Ohio schools had to teach the three founding documents. Okay. You know, it was going to be a mandate now that every student has to know, you know, the constitution, the bill of rights. And um, so I went up to one of the representatives who had been in the paper there and of course this was later in the evening when when Ann and I got there and he was he was, had you know been having a good time and I said what's the 6th amendment to the United States Constitution? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he said he had no idea yeah. <laughs> and uh, what did Ian say to you for quizzing the See, representative
0: immediately pulled me away <laughs> and would not allow me to discuss politics with any of the politicians there because they were there to have a good time but it just struck me as um, again hypocritical look you know this guy was probably in his mid 50s telling us we all need to know this, and doesn't know it himself, and he's one of our elected officials, Um, and you know what, I think you need to know there's a constitution, you certainly should know the history of it, you should know there are important amendments, but they're in books, they're on the computer, you can look them up. It's not, to me, like in law school, knowing the code section, right, it's just knowing there's a law there about this and why there's a law about it. Because you can always find the law. You can. If, if you don't understand the law, which I think a lot of our representatives don't understand the Constitution, I agree. that's worse. So, um, But just, you know, the whole idea of representatives uh, dictating to local school boards what they should teach. I mean, that's, to me, again, foreign to our democracy.
1: They're not only talking in bills that they support, they're not only talking about what schools should teach, they are trying to preclude what teachers can teach. And as we've seen with a prior guest, when we talked with Joni from Ohio State some months back, they're creating problems and legislating against problems that don't exist. It's, uh, It's a frightening thought. They're really trying to control and there's problem. There's got to be a first amendment issue in a lot of these bills. We've lost our way. And yeah. I think it'll take I you know I have a friend at the gym. We used to talk about this. We both concluded it's going to take something cataclysmic to right this ship. And I don't know what that would be, but it'll take something cataclysmic.
0: Well, you know, the pandemic could have been close to it, and boy, that just fractured it even more. Yeah. You would have thought, I don't know if this war in Ukraine, if, if God forbid, it it spreads. Um, again, things like that in the past have brought people together, have given us more of a sense of identity in this country, but um, it's hard to say.
1: Well, the only thing I can say with certainty is you can't pray too much these days. <laughs> That's it.
0: Jack, I always love talking to you about these things, and I appreciate your friendship and uh, obviously uh, your insight into these weighty issues. I wish we had the answers. I really do.
1: Well, I certainly enjoy talking with you as much, and I wring my hands over these problems as much as you do. But maybe the little bit of light that is here is maybe, by virtue of us talking about these things, our listeners will at least think about these things, perhaps a little more than they have. We'll be back in a few weeks with another important legal or social justice issue, and we hope you join us so that it's not just us, but all of us uh, seeking social justice. We want to thank WOSU for allowing us to use their studio, and Eric French our sound engineer. If you like what you've heard, let your friends know. Until next time, so long.